I wonder if you could think about a leader who has blessed your life, a leader whose ministry you have uh, looked up to and who has perhaps spoken into your life, a leader you've highly respected. And if you could think about someone, I mean, that probably might take some time and it would be an interesting thing to actually take time to think about someone and to think about what is it about their leadership, what is it about the way they went about it, what is it about the way that they um, uh, led that blessed you, it would be a valuable thing. For me, um, I've had obviously a number of leaders in my life. One of them that, 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 I, that as I prepared this week who came to my mind was uh, the leader who was leading the Christian group at the university when I first really became a believer and first made, a, I guess, a commitment of faith. And I went into the Christian group at uni, just a small group, UniSA, uh, and there was a, a pastor, a minister, an Anglican minister who would come in every week and lead that group. And oversee that group. And his leadership was, in many respects, very non-spectacular. He was not in any way um, a kind of inspirational leader in his leadership style, in his teaching. He wasn't particularly dynamic, um, but he was a leader, when I look back, I highly value. Uh, the things that he did that I really appreciate was he came in every week and taught us the scripture. Just week in, week out, teaching us the word. It was such a great foundation for my faith. He was great at being a gentle encourager. He was great at coming alongside. And rather than, even though he was there to sort of oversee the group, he didn't, he knew that his role was not actually be, to be up front, but to actually raise up leaders. And so he would identify emerging leaders and give them opportunities to lead. And one of the emerging leaders, he gave an opportunity to step into the very first kind of role of Christian leadership was me. And so I'm really thankful for his leadership. There's probably all of us can think of other leaders who perhaps their leadership is something that may have been difficult for us. And either way, it probably goes without saying that leadership is significant, that leadership is important, that leadership has an impact, a great potential to have a very positive impact and also perhaps uh, we've got to acknowledge a, a potential to have a, a negative impact. John Maxwell, who is a bit of a leadership expert, wrote a lot of books on leadership, has this saying about leadership. Is, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And so the leaders who you uh, look up to and whose leadership you sit under will influence you for good or bad. There's another saying which says, a church becomes like its pastor, which is always gives me a sense of high level of responsibility as a pastor. But a church does over time begin to uh, look a little like its pastor. And indeed, if you are a leader in any area of your life, the people that you are leading and influence will begin to actually be shaped to some extent by your leadership. This morning we're looking at the ongoing issue of leadership in the Corinthian church. And the past two sermons have kind of been shaped around this topic of leadership. Because in the Corinthian church, uh, Paul uh, writes to these Corinthians to, to address lots of issues in their church. And there's like really big, serious issues going on. But the issue that he puts first, the one he focuses the most time on, is the issue of leadership, which reflects its importance. What's happening in their church is that some people are saying, um, 
I follow Paul. Others, I follow Apollos. If you've been here, you've, you know this. And so some are like, you know, Paul's the best person and, and we're the best kind of, you know, we've got the right way and his teaching's the best. And they're getting proud and arrogant about the person that they follow and it's causing division in their church. And so in chapter four, Paul writes, uh, having spoken about leadership a little bit to say, this is the kind of leaders we are. And in analysing it, we can see the kind of leaders that we should be. Guess the question worth asking before I get into the passage is, who amongst us is a leader? You don't have to raise your hands. In the, night, in the morning service when I put that question out, they all raised their hands, which was really good. Who amongst us is a leader? Well, we've got people in the room uh, who are board members. We've got others who are elders. And we in the church might look to them and say, well, they're our leaders and they are. But there's actually a lot of other people who are leaders, people who are children's leaders, people who are youth leaders, people who are ministry leaders. But of course, leadership goes beyond the church. Some of us are leaders in a workplace, in a business setting. We're a boss, we're a partner, we're a manager. Others are leaders in their homes. Parents are leaders, fathers, mothers, husbands. Uh, all of these kind of roles that we have in life. In fact, if we look around at our life, we probably discover in at least one area of our life we are a leader. And the principles that I'm going to talk about are actually relevant even for anyone who's not a leader. It's actually effectively the, the things that I'm going to talk about this morning are just qualities and characteristics that every Christian should be, should be seeking to follow after. So I'll put it out there. This isn't just for uh, Anthony Riemann and Craig Schultz. That's our board members and elder who's in the room and everyone else can just relax and look at them and just uh, assess this based on them or the staff members or Ben. Uh, this is for everyone. Let's read chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. This then is how you ought to regard us. This is how you ought to regard leaders. And this is how leaders should be. Servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Already you've already, you have begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you had really begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. 
To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. There you go. That's the standard of leadership. <laughs> Got to be considered the scum of the earth. Anyway, I thought being a pastor was difficult. All right, let's get into this. Um, let me just start by saying, whenever I preach a sermon that's talking about how we should live and what we should do, I feel like it's really important to back it up a little bit and state really clearly from the start that the message of the gospel and the message that we proclaim is not that we need to do heaps and heaps and heaps of things so that God will accept us and love us and receive us. Everything that I speak of here and that the apostle speaks of doing comes only in response to what God has already done, in response to the gospel. And so I feel like any time I preach this kind of message, I've got to proceed it by saying that. That's the first thing. This is how you should live as a believer who has come to know that before you've done anything, God has done everything for you. So how should we live and how should a leader especially live? Well, the first thing is they need to know that they have been entrusted with the mysteries of the gospel. Verse 1, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. I don't do this very often. Turn to the person next to you. I want you to say this word, entrusted, to the person next to you. Why do I say entrusted? Because this is the key word in this passage to me, that if you are a leader, in fact, if you are a Christian, you have been entrusted with something incredibly valuable. Now, uh, many of us have just finished watching the Olympics. Hands up who loved the Olympics. I loved it. And uh, I saw lots of uh, the games. But uh, I was thinking as I prepared this about the, uh, an aspect of the game we didn't see much about in Tokyo, but the, the torch relay. When I think of the torch relay, I'm actually reminded back to the Sydney Olympics where we actually did see lots of it. And that torch got carried all around this Australia. Okay, And it starts out... They light the flame in Olympia, the home of uh, where the, the Olympic Games began. They light the torch and then they carried it actually on the plane over, you know, right to Australia somehow without setting the plane on fire. And then they lit each torch and someone, you know, all these different people from around Australia, community leaders and sporting leaders, had this privilege of carrying the torch and they would light it from the person who had preceded them, then they would hold it high, and they would run for however long it was, a kilometre or whatever they had to run, and then they would hand it over to the next person. And this flame, which had started in Olympia, was carried person by person all the way around Australia until it was carried into the stadium at Sydney and was carried right up to the cauldron, eventually by Cathy Freeman, and we probably remember that scene where she lit that flame, and that's how the torch got lit for the Olympics in Sydney. And every single person, every link in that chain, for their time, for their moment, was entrusted. They held that flame aloft and they ran the distance that they had been called to run and then passed it on. And for me, that is a picture of 
what Christian leadership is. That you are entrusted with something valuable and you are called to carry it. Whether you are a leader in your church or whether you are a leader in your marriage or whether you are a leader in your home as a parent, whether you are a leader in your workplace, as a Christian, we are given something to carry and we are entrusted with something valuable. And you could just imagine like the person carrying that flame. Let's just say they were like, for whatever reason, I don't know why they do this, but they just didn't care about it. They just like, they just couldn't care less. And so they're given the flame, they're running along, they're not concentrating, they're not holding it high, and they just drop it. And it goes out. This thing's come from Olympia, travelled halfway around Australia, and then it's just dropped. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know what they'd do if the flame went out. I guess maybe they had a backup flame. <laughs> um, what would they do if the person just like, yeah, goes for a coffee or something, they just run off the course and, and then the, you know, all the... Or maybe they get to the end and they go... Oh, I'm handing it over just to like a young kid or something, and oh, I don't think they're ready for. They're, they're, I don't think they're ready to be entrusted with this. So I'll just like I'll just keep running, and they don't pass it on. In all of those, and that by the way, that happens in churches sometimes. In all of those cases, those people would not be faithful to what they have been entrusted with. But a key to leadership is that we are to be servants of Christ, entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. And then it says in verse 2, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now the interesting word here is faithful, not must prove successful. Our world looks for success, but what God's greatest desire is is that we would be faithful with what we are entrusted with because sometimes you can be you can be faithful with what you're entrusted with and it leads to pats on the back as a leader and people saying, gee, you're a great leader and you're doing a great job. And sometimes as a leader, you're faithful with what you're entrusted with and leads to actually criticism and people like, you know, accusing you of stuff which is untrue and unfair. And what's actually important is that you're faithful, not that you're necessarily successful. That's what God's desire is. You know, we preached Jeremiah last year. Jeremiah preached for 40 years and for 40 years people heard his sermons and just criticised him and insulted him and didn't listen to him. He was a complete failure in the world's eyes but we're still preaching Jeremiah because he was faithful to what God had called him to. So we've got to be faithful to that which we are entrusted with. That's the first thing. And how, how do we go about being faithful? Let me give you four things, four character uh, I guess, uh, values that we need to take on. The first is we need to do it in the way of being a servant. We need to be a servant. When Jesus got to the very end of his uh, earthly ministry, the night before he's betrayed, his disciples, I think, were still expecting him to, uh, you know, take take control, to become the king, to become the king in terms of an earthly sense. They were ready for him to take power. But Jesus, of course, told them that he was about to die and then he models for them uh, as a metaphor the kind of way in which they are to go and be leaders and he gets on his knees and he takes a cloth and a bowl and when no one wanted to wash the disciples' feet because there was no servant there, he himself goes to wash his disciples' feet and does. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're the boss, you're the leader, you're the, you're the, you're the one that, that's honoured. And he says, no, this, I'm showing you what kind of leadership you are to model. This is what it means to be a Christian leader. It means actually taking the position of a servant even though you are the leader. 
It's very interesting the direction that Western Christianity has gone in regards to its treatment of well-known pastors. That we have a culture, a celebrity culture with pastors, a celebrity culture that has led to a situation where uh, some pastors, particularly those from North America, are now celebrities. They are famous and they are extremely well paid. Okay, I don't know if you realize this, there are many pastors, the kind of pastors uh, who we've probably heard about who are paid extremely well. I'm talking like they're earning more than a million dollars a year. Pa- pastors who have their own private jets to fly around because it's, it's below them to fly uh, first class on public planes. Pastors who have flown into conferences either in first class or on their private jets are put up in the top hotels, sit in the green room and then come out at big conferences and speak to us and we love it. And what do we do to these pastors? We buy their books and listen to them. I heard at a conference uh, from uh, just the local pastors conference a guy who had gone to a conference as a speaker was in Asia and he was staying in uh, just a hostel for some reason. I'm not saying pastors need to stay in hostels when they travel interstate, but this is what he was doing overseas. And uh, he saw in his room, in his hostel room, there was um, a man, a, a, a Vietnamese man who was sitting on the edge of his bed weeping, just weeping. And he, he asked this guy if he was okay and got talking to him, and he discovered this guy was a pastor. And when he pressed a little further, he discovered this guy was weeping because of his burden and his love for his church, and he was actually weeping as he prayed for his church. And then he began to ask him about his church. And this uh, kind of unknown guy, uh, not, not known anywhere, uh, he, he discovered was the pastor of a whole network of underground house churches, a network that was around, I think it was 40,000 people in his church. He was the leader of a church of 40,000 people. And this uh, Aussie guy who'd gone to this conference to be a speaker began to wonder why men like this were not being invited to speak at the conference, why where the church is booming in Africa and in Asia and in South America. We're not hearing the voices of these people and where every conference you go to, it's actually someone from a church in the highly Christianized West where the church is actually in decline. But they're the people we're hearing. It's very interesting who we choose to listen to. But the truth is we're probably more impressed with the charismatic speakers who are powerful uh, with their words than perhaps those who are powerful with their ministry. We need to be servant leaders. If you are a leader, no matter what your status, no matter what the size of your church, no matter what the size of your leadership role, never hit a point where you cease to see yourself first and foremost, or not first and foremost, but as a servant. That's how we need to leave. Secondly, in your leadership, You need to lead and live for an audience of one. That is, you need to lead and live under the, under the, uh, basically seeing God as the judge and not worrying about judgment from others. Verse three, Paul says this. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Now, I've got to tell you as a leader, uh, there are different times when you, 
when you hear different things. There are different times when you're going to hear judgment from other people or you're going to hear the opposite, which is the praises of people. And as a leader, it can be very hard, even as a person, just a person living your life as a Christian, it can be very hard not to let either the praises of people or the judgments of people shape how you live your life or how you lead in your area of leadership. But what God's calling us to here is to say, I will set that aside and I'm not going to, I'm not going to live to, to, to garner the praises of people and I'm not going to live to avoid the criticisms or the judgment of people, but I'm going to look to God and I'm going to lead simply under his authority and to honour and glorify him. That is how I'm going to lead. And that is how I'm going to live. And all that other stuff I'm going to set aside. Indeed, the other thing that I'm going to set aside is when I judge myself. Because sometimes for some people, it's actually not the judgment of others that's the hardest thing to deal with. It's self-judgment. And very often people judge themselves very harshly and can be very self-critical. Paul's saying, don't judge yourself. Don't let other people be your judge. But know that you do have a judge and he's, God is the one you should live for. And so we should live for an audience of one. So we should be a servant who lives for an audience of one. And the third thing is who has a humble heart. Paul in verse 6 and 7 and beyond that goes into this kind of extensive bit where he talks about the fact that basically the Corinthians have become very puffed up. They've become very prideful. Because they think they've got the right leader. They're, their leader's the great leader and they're now following the right leader and so they've got the right theology. They've got the right beliefs. They've got the right practice and they've become very proud. He says in verse 6, Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. He says this, for who, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And I've got to say this, if you've got gifts in ministry or life, if you've got abilities, where have they, where have they come from? I believe they've come from God. They're gifts from God. If you've got success, if you've got achievements, if, you, if God has done things in your life or in our church or in any situation, I, I think... If you start taking the, the glory for that, you've really missed the point. The good things we have in life, every good thing is a gift from God. And so, uh, so what do you have that you did not receive? And if you didn't have receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all, all you want. Already you've become rich. Already you've begun to reign and that without us. How I wish you'd really begun to reign with us so that we might reign with you. He's kind of being sarcastic there. And then he makes this incredible kind of statement because the Corinthians have become wealthy, they've become overconfident, they've become arrogant and they've become bold, not about God's power but about their own giftedness and success. He makes this powerful statement. He says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. Now, here's the picture. In Paul's day, when a... When a military battle was won, they would have a procession that came into the city. And in that procession, at the very front would be the leaders. The leaders would be at the front. They would be the ones receiving the most honour and the most praise. And then would come the soldiers, those who had fought in the battle. 
And then, and they would be carrying with them the spoils of victory. And then at the very back would be the ones who had been defeated, the ones who were being criticized and mocked and insulted. And, and what's happening here is the Corinthians are like, they're like saying, Hey, we're Christians and, and we're successful and we're proud now. And we're the ones at the front of the procession. And Paul says, no, no, the nature of a true apostle is actually to be willing to actually be the one who's at the back. And he says, actually, being, a, being an apostle is, uh, you know, you guys are talking about how strong you are, but sometimes being an apostle is being looking like you're weak. Uh, you're, you love to be honoured, but sometimes being an apostle is about being willing to be dishonoured. Sometimes being a leader is about hardship, about going hungry and thirsty. He says, we're in rags, we're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. Yet when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. He says we become the scum of the earth. This is what true leadership is. It's not actually being like the top dog who actually takes the spoils of victory. It's actually choosing hardship. It's choosing suffering. It's choosing sacrifice. It's seeing a challenge and walking towards it. You see, so much of Western Christianity has now been framed in this mindset that the role of God is to make life comfortable and easy and safe and secure for us. And any time we get away from that, we're like, God, can you make things better and more comfortable? Now, in saying that, if you're experiencing sickness and difficulty in your life, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for that. And you shouldn't ask God for healing and for God to move in those situations. But leadership and just the general Christian life should have us walking towards difficult situations, towards difficult people, towards difficult circumstances so that we might go into them and actually be a blessing to people and actually get our hands dirty and actually have a cost in our life because that is the nature of Christian living and Christian leadership. Ernest Shackleton, it's a bit of a famous story. Apparently, it turns out this is actually just a story, by the way, because a lot of people have heard this and been told it's true. But anyway, apparently he put an ad in the London Times, seeking people to join him on his expedition to Antarctica. And the ad went, went, said this. It said, men wanted for a hazardous journey and small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. For applications, contact Ernest Shackleton. And the story goes that 5,000 people responded to that ad and said we want to be part of it. Now, it's a great story. Historically, just let me tell you, it's just a story. No one can find that ad anywhere historically. But it's still a great story. And if it was true, <laughs> the point of it is this. People are looking for a challenge. People are looking for an adventure. People are looking for a cause worth living for, and I want to finish this morning by saying, if the gospel, if following Jesus, if serving him is not a cause worth living for, then you have lost 
an understanding of how great is the message of the gospel and how much God has entrusted it to us and to no one else. He has entrusted it to his church. There are many organisations seeking to do good in this world. There are many political parties and politicians, believe it or not, seeking to do good in this world. There are many different people with a heart to do good in this world who are not believers. But there is only one group of people truly entrusted with the true gospel and entrusted to take that message to the world. And that is the church. And if we are to do that, we're going to need to roll up our sleeves and we need to go out to people who are marginalised and hurting and broken and people who maybe aren't that easy to get along with. And we're going to have to show them the love and compassion of Christ. And if we're leaders, we're going to have to step into leadership and that might cause us difficulty and that might cause us hardship. And there's nothing more challenging as a leader than when you attend meeting after meeting and you pour your heart out and then people question your motives. And sometimes that happens. And you know what? That's the deal. That's the deal of Christian leadership. Because actually to be a leader is more like being the person at the back of the procession rather than the front. But it's worth it because this message is worth it. Can the band come up as I finish off? Let me finish by speaking very briefly about someone I dearly love from, uh, from literature and, and the movies now, um, a guy by the name of Frodo Baggins. <laughs> Frodo Baggins is a hobbit, of course. He's a, he's a halfling. Hobbits are about half the size of a normal person. And, uh, and Frodo's just a little guy living in the Shire who one day is given something incredibly valuable. He has something entrusted to him. It is a ring. It is a very special ring. And he's entrusted with a mission. And his mission is to take this ring and to, to throw it into the volcano on top of Mount Doom. Is this right, Jack? Yes. And he needs to overcome and defeat evil. The evil that he needs to defeat, to defeat is Lord Sauron. Sauron. He does this with the help of his friends, Pippin, Mary, and particularly his closest friend, Samwise Ganji. And that mission, that role of leadership, sets him on a course that changes his life forever. And over three books and three movies that have a combined length of 11 and a half hours, he takes up that challenge. He steps into that role of leadership. He leaves his place of comfort and safety to complete his mission. It is not surprising to me that J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote those books, was a Christian. Because to me, this is an allegory of the Christian life. That we are given something, entrusted with something valuable. And we're entrusted with a mission to overcome and defeat evil. We do that with the help of our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that mission and that role of leadership doesn't require us to leave our homes and to leave where we live physically, but it does require us to leave the comforts of our home. It does require us to leave the comfort mindset, the mindset of really our lives, which is kind of work hard and then enjoy the comforts of life, but actually to step beyond that, to choose hardship, to do so with a servant heart, to live for an audience of one and to have a humble heart 
and to choose hardship because the mission is actually worth it. So this week and moving forward, if that mission for you is to be a leadership, a leader in the church, just understand that it's going to be hard work and God has chosen and asked you to be faithful in that role. If your role is to be a parent or a grandparent, then that's probably going to be hard work too. But God has called you into that role to be faithful with that ministry. In any other context, same deal. The places where you find yourself entrusted to leadership. In some ways, success isn't the goal. Definitely not the kind of success that earns worldly praise. But knowing that you can come before God one day and hopefully He will say the words, you know, you've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. So may you be faithful with the leadership that you've been trusted with. And do it knowing God is with you every step of the way. And that you don't have to do it in your strength, but in His. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for every person in every area of leadership and responsibility because I know that uh, leadership is tough. Parenting is tough. Workplace leadership is tough. All these things are challenging. But Lord, I pray that you would Give us courage to be faithful, to hold and to carry that which we have been entrusted with and to do it with the right character and the right heart that reflects Jesus himself. We pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 